Section 11 of On Benefits. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arden. On Benefits by Seneca. Translated by Aubrey Stewart. Book 4, Chapters 10 to 20. 10. To restore what has been entrusted to one is desirable in itself, yet I shall not always restore it, nor shall I do so in any place or at any time you please. Sometimes it makes no difference whether I deny that I have received it, or return it openly. I shall consider the interests of the person to whom I am to return it, and shall deny that I have received the deposit, which would injure him if returned. I shall act in the same manner in bestowing a benefit. I shall consider when to give it, to whom, in what manner, and on what grounds. Nothing ought to be done without a reason. A benefit is not truly so, if it be bestowed without a reason, since reason accompanies all honorable action. How often do we hear men reproaching themselves for some thoughtless gift, and saying, I had rather have thrown it away than have given it to him. What is thoughtlessly given away is lost in the most discreditable manner, and it is much worse to have bestowed a benefit badly than to have received no return for it. That we receive no return is the fault of another, that we did not choose upon whom we should bestow it is our own. In choosing a fit person, I shall not, as you expect, pay the least attention to whether I am likely to get any return from him, for I choose one who will be grateful not one who will return my goodness. And it often happens that the man who makes no return is grateful, while he who returns a benefit is ungrateful for it. I value men by their hearts alone, and therefore I shall pass over a rich man if he be unworthy, and give to a good man though he be poor, for he will be grateful however destitute he may be, since whatever he may lose, his heart will still be left him. 11. I do not fish for gain, for pleasure, or for credit, by bestowing benefits, Satisfied in doing so, but pleasing one man alone, I shall give an order to do my duty. Duty, however, leaves one some choice. Do you ask me how I am to choose? I shall choose an honest, plain man, with a good memory, and grateful for kindness, one who keeps his hands off other men's goods, yet does not greedily hold to his own, and who is kind to others. When I have chosen such a man, I shall have acted to my mind. Although fortune may have bestowed upon him no means of returning my kindness, if my own advantage and mean calculation made me liberal, if I did no one any service, except in order that he might in turn do a service to me, I should never bestow a benefit upon one who was setting out for distant and foreign countries, never to return. I should not bestow a benefit upon one who was so ill as to be past hope of recovery, nor should I do so when I myself was failing, because I should not live long enough to receive any return. Yet that you may know that to do good, is desirable in itself. We afford help to strangers who put into our harbor only to leave it straightway. We give a ship and fit it out for a shipwrecked stranger to sail back in to his own country. He leaves us hardly knowing who it was who saved him, and as he will never return to our presence, he hands over his debt of gratitude to the gods and beseeches them to fulfill it for him. In the meanwhile, we rejoice in the bare knowledge that we have done a good action. What? When we stand upon the extreme verge of life and make our wills, do we not assign to others benefits from which we ourselves shall receive no advantage? How much time we waste, how long we consider in secret how much property we are to leave and to whom? Well then, does it make any difference to us to whom we leave our property, seeing that we cannot expect any return from anyone? Yet we never give anything with more care, we never take such pains in deciding upon our verdict as when, without any views of personal advantage, we think only of what is honorable for we are bad judges of our duty as long as our view of it is distorted by hope and fear, and that most indolent of vices, pleasure. But when death has shut off all these, 
and brought us as incorrupt judges to pronounce sentence. We seek for the most worthy men to leave our property to, and we never take more scrupulous care than in deciding what is to be done with what does not concern us. Yet, by Hercules, then there steals over us a great satisfaction, as we think, I shall make this man richer, and by bestowing wealth upon that man I shall add luster to his high position. Indeed, if we never give without expecting some return, we must all die without making our wills. 12. It may be said, you define a benefit as a loan which cannot be repaid. Now a loan is not a desirable thing in itself. When we speak of a loan, we make use of a figure, or comparison, just as we speak of law as the standard of right and wrong. Although a standard is not a thing to be desired for its own sake, I have adopted this phrase in order to illustrate my subject. When I speak of a loan, I must be understood to mean something resembling a loan. Do you wish to know how it differs from one? I add the words which cannot be repaid, whereas every loan both can and ought to be repaid. It is so far from being right to bestow a benefit for one's own advantage, that often, as I have explained, it is one's duty to bestow it when it involves one's own loss and risk. For instance, if I assist a man when beset by robbers, so that he gets away from them safely, or helps some victim of power, and bring upon myself the party spite of a body of influential men, very probably incurring myself the same disgrace from which I saved him, although I might have taken the other side, and looked on with safety at struggles with which I have nothing to do. If I were to give bail for one who has been condemned, and when my friend's goods were advertised for sale, I were to give a bond to the effect that I would make restitution to the creditors, if in order to save a prescribed person, I myself run the risk of being prescribed. No one, when about to buy a villa at Tusculum or Tiber for a summer retreat because of the health of the locality, considers how many years' purchase he gives for it. This must be looked to by the man who makes a profit by it. The same is true with benefits. When you ask what return I get for them, I answer the consciousness of a good action. What return does one get for benefits? Pray tell me what return one gets for righteousness, innocence, magnanimity, chastity, temperance. If you wish for anything beyond these virtues, you do not wish for the virtues themselves. For what does the order of the universe bring round the seasons? For what does the sun make the day now longer and now shorter? All these things are benefits, for they take place for our good. As it is the duty of the universe to maintain the round of the seasons, as it is the duty of the sun to vary the points of his rising and setting, and to do all these things by which we profit without any reward, so is it the duty of man, amongst other things, to bestow benefits. Wherefore, then, does he give? He gives for fear that he should not give, lest he might lose an opportunity of doing a good action. 13. You Epicureans take pleasure in making a study of dull turpidity, in seeking for a repose which differs little from sound sleep, in lurking beneath the thickest shade, in amusing with the feeblest possible trains of thought, that sluggish condition of your languid minds, which you term tranquil contemplation, and in stuffing with food and drink, in the recesses of your gardens, your bodies which are pallid with want of exercise. We Stoics, on the other hand, take pleasure in bestowing benefits, even though they cost us labor, provided that they lighten the labors of others, though they lead us into danger, provided that they save others, though they straighten our means, if they alleviate the poverty and distresses of others. What difference does it make to me whether I receive benefits or not? Even if I receive them, it is still my duty to bestow them. A benefit has in view the advantage of him upon whom we bestow it, not our own. Otherwise, we merely bestow it upon ourselves. Many things, therefore, which are of the greatest possible use to others, lose all claim to gratitude by being paid for. Merchants are of use to cities, 
physicians to invalids, dealers to slaves. Yet all these have no claim to the gratitude of those whom they benefit, because they seek their own advantage through that of others. That which is bestowed with a view to profit is not a benefit. I will give this in order that I may get a return for it, is the language of a broker. 14. I should not call a woman modest if she rebuffed her lover in order to increase his passion, or because she feared the law or her husband. As Ovid says, she that denies because she does not dare to yield in spirit grants her lover's prayer. Indeed, the woman who owes her chastity, not to her own virtue, but to fear, may rightly be classed as a sinner. In the same manner, he who merely gave in order that he might receive, cannot be said to have given. Pray, do we bestow benefits upon animals when we feed them for our use or for our table? Do we bestow benefits upon trees when we tend them, that they may not suffer from drought or from hardness of ground? No one is moved by righteousness and goodness of heart to cultivate an estate, or to do any act, in which the reward is something apart from the act itself. But he is moved to bestow benefits, not by low and grasping motives, but by a kind and generous mind, which even after it has given, is willing to give again, to renew its former bounties by fresh ones, which thinks only of how much good it can do the man to whom it gives. Whereas to do any one a service, because it is our interest to do so, is a mean action, which deserves no praise, no credit. But grandeur is there in loving oneself, sparing oneself, gaining profit for oneself. The true love of giving calls us away from all this, forcibly leads us to put up with loss, and forgoes its own interest, deriving its greatest pleasure from the mere act of doing good. 15. Can we doubt that the converse of a benefit is an injury? As the infliction of injuries is a thing to be avoided, so is the bestowal of benefits to be desired for its own sake. In the former, the disgrace of crime outweighs all the advantages which incite us to commit it, while we are urged to the latter course by the appearance of honor, and itself a powerful incentive to action which attends it. I should not lie if I were to affirm that everyone takes pleasure in the benefits which he has bestowed, that everyone loves best to see the man whom he has most largely benefited. Who does not think that to have bestowed one benefit is a reason for bestowing a second, and would this be so if the act of giving did not itself give us pleasure? How often you may hear a man say, I cannot bear to desert one whose life I have preserved, whom I have saved from danger. True, he asks me to plead his cause against men of great influence. I do not wish to do so, yet what am I to do? I have heard he helped him once, nay twice. Do you not perceive how very powerful this instinct must be? If it leads us to bestow benefits, first, because it is right to do so, and afterwards because we have already bestowed somewhat. Though at the outset a man may have had no claim upon us, we yet continue to give to him because we have already given to him. So untrue is it that we are urged to bestow benefits by our own interest, that even when our benefits prove failures, we continue to nurse them and encourage them out of sheer love of benefiting, which has a natural weakness even for what has been ill-bestowed, like that which we feel for our vicious children. 16. These same adversaries of ours admit that they are grateful, yet not because it is honorable, but because it is profitable to be so. This can be proved to be untrue all the more easily, because it can be established by the same arguments by which we have established that to bestow a benefit is desirable for its own sake. All our arguments start from this settled point, that honor is pursued for no reason except because it is honor. Now who will venture to raise the question whether it be honorable to be grateful? Who does not loathe the ungrateful man, useless as he is even to himself? How do you feel 
when anyone is spoken of as being ungrateful for great benefits conferred upon him by a friend? Is it as though he had done something base, or had merely neglected to do something useful, and likely to be profitable to himself? I imagine that you think him a bad man, and one who deserves punishment, not one who needs a guardian, and this would not be the case, unless gratitude were desirable in itself and honorable. Other qualities, it may be, manifest their importance less clearly, and require an explanation to prove whether they be honorable or no. This is openly proved to be so in the sight of all, and is too beautiful for anything to obscure or dim its glory. What is more praiseworthy, upon what are all men more universally agreed, than to return gratitude for good offices? 17. Pray tell me, what is it that urges us to do so? Is it profit? Why, unless a man despises profit, he is not grateful. Is it ambition? Why, what is there to boast of in having paid what you owe? Is it fear? The ungrateful man feels none, for against this one crime we have provided no law, as though nature had taken sufficient precautions against it, just as there is no law which bids parents love and indulge their children, seeing that it is superfluous to force us into the path which we naturally take, just as no one needs to be urged to love himself, since self-love begins to act upon him as soon as he is born. So there is no law bidding us to seek that which is honorable in itself, for such things please us by their very nature, and so attractive is virtue, that the disposition even of bad men leads them to approve of good, rather than of evil. Who is there who does not wish to appear beneficent? Who does not even, when steeped in crime and wrongdoing, strive after the appearance of goodness? Who does not put some show of justice upon even his most intemperate acts, and endeavor to seem to have conferred a benefit, even upon those whom he has injured? Consequently, men allow themselves to be thanked by those whom they have ruined, and pretend to be good and generous, because they cannot prove themselves so, and this they would never do, were it not that a love of honor for its own sake forces them to seek a reputation quite at variance with their real character, and to conceal their baseness, a quality whose fruits we covet, though we regard it itself with dislike and shame. No one has ever so far rebelled against the laws of nature, and put off human feeling, as to act basely for mere amusement. Ask any of those who live by robbery, whether he would not rather obtain what he steals and plunders by honest means, the man whose trade is highway robbery, and the murder of travelers would rather find his booty than take it by force. You will find no one who would not prefer to enjoy the fruits of wickedness without acting wickedly. Nature bestows upon us all this immense advantage, that the light of virtue shines into the minds of all alike. Even those who do not follow her, behold her. 18. A proof that gratitude is desirable for itself lies in the fact that ingratitude is to be avoided for itself, because no vice more powerfully rends asunder and destroys the union of the human race. To what do we trust for safety, if not in mutual good offices one to another? It is by the interchange of benefits alone that we gain some measure of protection for our lives, and of safety against sudden disasters. Taken singly, what should we be? A prey and quarry for wild beasts, a luscious and easy banquet. For while all other animals have sufficient strength to protect themselves, and those which are born to a wandering solitary life are armed, man is covered by a soft skin, has no powerful teeth or claws with which to terrify other creatures, but weak and naked by himself, is made strong by union. God has bestowed upon him two gifts, reason and union, which raise him from weakness to the highest power, and so he, who if taken alone, would be inferior to every other creature, possesses supreme dominion. Union has given him sovereignty over all animals. Union has enabled a being born upon the earth 
to assume power over a foreign element, and bids him be lord of the sea also. It is union which has checked the inroads of disease, provided supports for our old age, and given us relief from pain. It is union which makes us strong, and to which we look for protection against the caprices of fortune. Take away union, and you will rend asunder the association by which the human race preserves its existence. Yet you will take it away if you succeed in proving that ingratitude is not to be avoided for itself, but because something is to be feared for it. For how many are there who can with safety be ungrateful? In fine, I call every man ungrateful who is merely made grateful by fear. 19. No sane man fears the gods, for it is madness to fear what is beneficial, and no man loves those whom he fears. You, Epicurus, ended by making God unarmed. You stripped him of all weapons, of all power, and lest anyone should fear him, you banished him out of the world. There is no reason why you should fear this being, cut off as he is, and separated from the sight and touch of mortals by a vast and impassable wall. He has no power either of rewarding or of injuring us. He dwells alone halfway between our heaven and that of another world, without the society either of animals, of men, or of matter, avoiding the crash of worlds as they fall in ruins above and around him, but neither hearing our prayers nor interested in us. Yet you wish to seem to worship this being just as a father with a mind, I suppose, full of gratitude. Or if you do not wish to seem grateful, why should you worship him, since you have received no benefit from him, but have been put together entirely at random and by chance by those atoms and mites of yours? I worship him, you answer, because of his glorious majesty and his unique nature. Granting that you do this, you clearly do it without the attraction of any reward or any hope. There is therefore something which is desirable for itself, whose own worth attracts you, that is, honor. Now what is more honorable than gratitude? The means of practicing this virtue are as extensive as life itself. 20. Yet, argues he, there is also a certain amount of profit inherent in this virtue. In what virtue is there not? But that which we speak of as desirable for itself is such, that although it may possess some attendant advantages, yet it would be desirable even if stripped of all these. It is profitable to be grateful, yet I will be grateful even though it harm me. What is the aim of the grateful man? Is it that his gratitude may win for him more friends and more benefits? What then? If a man is likely to meet with affronts by showing his gratitude, if he knows that far from gaining anything by it, he must lose much even of what he has already acquired, will he not cheerfully act to his own disadvantage? That man is ungrateful who, in returning a kindness, looks forward to a second yet, who hopes while he repays. I call him ungrateful who sits at the bedside of a sick man because he is about to make a will, when he is at leisure to think of inheritances and legacies. Though he may do everything which a good and dutiful friend ought to do, yet if any hope of gain be floating in his mind, he is a mere legacy hunter, and is angling for an inheritance. Like the birds which feed upon carcasses, which come close to animals weakened by disease, and watch till they fall, so these men are attracted by death, and hover round a corpse. End of section 11 Recording by Arden.